Welcome to Music Defender, a podcast devoted to the maligned, misunderstood, and misinterpreted music of our lives. The records and artists who didn't get a fair shake, or sadly, people love to hate. Join us each week as we defend these gems from the tides of history and set the record straight. is a band that I don't think anyone thinks a whole lot about anymore, and I've certainly heard of them as the butt of more than a couple of jokes over the years. They, uh, they came about at a really interesting time in history, the early 90s. This is the aftermath of the Cold War, kind of hanging in the air still. Uh, Desert Storm is underway. You've got the Rodney King riots, the raid on Waco. Um, this is still pre-internet days. Um, Music uh, Musically, rap is hugely popular. In fact, The Chronic and this album battled for chart position for months on end. Grunge is starting to become a major cultural force. Um, the Bodyguard soundtrack is seemingly unassailable as the number one album. And uh, when this album came out, I was in college. Interestingly, it didn't hit its peak until 1993 when I was in grad school. Um, and it was a couple years after it came out, actually. It uh, lingered for a little while before it took off. Um, for the Music Defender team here, I think what this means is Michael was in high school, Max was probably in elementary school, and I know for a fact Callie was not yet born. Um, so I think we're going to have some different perspectives on this uh, based on that alone, uh, for sure. So why do they need a defense? Let's look at how history has treated these guys. A Rolling Stone Reader's Poll in 2013 put them at the number 8 worst band of the 90s. The LA Weekly named them the 20th worst band of all time in 2012. Um, their songs are a bit like herpes, this, this piece said. You get infected at a young age when you don't know any better. When you think it's finally gone, it rears its ugly head again. Another article notes... The singer did not even have its own his own Wikipedia page. This is since corrected, I'll note. Um, in an AV Club article, Alkaline Trio singer Matt Skiba pointed out that it sounds like white people without problems music. And regarding one of the band's particularly popular lyrics, he said, it doesn't mean anything, it's just garbage. So you get the point. There's not much love for these guys out there, but they are redeemable, and... Uh, and I say I can prove it. So exhibit A is going to be uh, Jimmy Olsen's Blues. So, yeah, I'm talking about the spin doctors. The beard, the bad dancing, the rag wool sweater, and the hat. And I know that whatever shred of credibility I might have is being chased right out the door right now. But I think what makes them so great is precisely what they're criticized for. The music is meaningless. Um, lyrically, it's pretty empty. 
Chris Barron, the singer, is filling up space with his words, basically. Um, sometimes he's clever. Um, at times, he sounds like a really awful Robert Plant uh, when he's kind of screaming. Um, and they are really just a drumstick toss away from a bar band in a lot of ways. In a parallel universe, I think they might be relegated to playing Bleecker Street for a cut of the bar tab. But the genius of all this is the improbability of it. These guys broke through by touring endlessly. Um, remember that two years passed after a tepid release and the um, breakthrough of this album. And, uh, and being happy and trying to make people happy with music. Now, of course, music can be a near-religious experience. It can open your mind. It can inspire revolution. Um, but it can also just bring people together, at least when there's no pandemic, and make them dance and forget about the bad stuff for a while. So while Dre and Cobain were doing their thing at this time, um, which, by the way, I love, Chris Barron and his goofball compatriots and the Spin Doctors were doing their thing. So I'm not a huge jam band guy by any stretch. And what I like about these guys is um, they actually have some pretty tight songwriting. They're really good hooks. Um, and there's a reason why millions of people bought this album. Uh, two other things here in this song. Um, Eric Schenkman, he's not a bad guitarist at all. He can definitely rip. He's got some really nice melodies in his solos. Um, he can swing. I don't think he's going to make the guitar player best ever list, but he's definitely solid, and I find his playing really enjoyable. Lyrically, Jimmy Olsen's Blues is also kind of fun. It's a cute premise, competing against Superman. Um, does it mean anything in a deep sense? Not really. Um, is it poetic? Not really, but it's clever, and it's fun, and it definitely works with the song. Okay, exhibit B. This is the song Two Princes. turn it off it's so awesome so that's their biggest hit um the video uh has lots of chris barron's boneless dance moves and definitely a super thin plot um they're playing on the steps in central park you know it's really actually a pretty horrible video um and mtv was 10 years old and uh effects were kind of expensive but still hard to justify a video that has this low of production value uh, but the song definitely has a really nice groove. It's got a super catchy hook. And the guitar solo is actually really tasteful. Um, it's a great little pop song. So let's have a listen to that guitar solo real quick because it's, it's worth listening to.
definitely some uh, Jimmy Page uh, cribbing there going on, but pretty tasteful little solo. Um, so, you know, that's a great song. I, you know, it's it's uh, not the most original, but I think it's definitely, you know, it's, it's really catchy, and it's the kind of song that, uh, again, helped to uh, shift millions and millions of units for this album. Um, and then you've got this, which is... Um, uh, so Chris Barron and his band, the Spin Doctors, went on Sesame Street to use the song Two Princes to promote sharing. And I just find that uh, any band that does that, you, you can't hate too much. He's beardless here. It's a good look. Oh, Prince Tilly, Prince Eichu, won't you please choose me as your I mean, how can you hate these guys? That is just uh, that's a heartwarming video. And uh, it should be noted that Chris Barron is back to the beardless look, and he's also wearing this kind of Paul Revere in the Raiders jacket. And uh, I got to say, it's kind of a better look. He probably should have gone with that um, rather than the sort of ragamuffin look. But um, you know, again, uh, hard to hate these guys <clears throat> doing doing the right thing on Sesame Street. Again, uh, the catchiness of that song comes through as well pretty impressive stuff and that brings us to the next exhibit in my defense of spin doctors which is my favorite my personal favorite um rhythm section here is incredibly solid the guitar work is fluid chris doesn't try anything too outrageous vocally it's just a really tight song um there's a fair amount written about the intro um reference to uh bitch and um it's interesting that that was not excusing it, but that was like definitely a really lightning rod moment back in the '90s. You think about where we're where we are now; things are pretty different. The bar is definitely higher, but um, <clears throat> you know that was uh, offensive and weird, and doesn't excuse it. But you know, I, Chris went on record as saying he felt really awful about it that he had written it not thinking much about it and not thinking that he'd have a massive hit on his hands. Um, so he was definitely circumspect about the line. during the Me Too movement, it might, it might pass a little bit less notice than it did at the time, but it was shook some people up. Um, so anyway, he's not off the hook, but I think at least he owned it. You definitely should check out the video if you've not seen it for the most fun you can have with cans of Sherwin-Williams in a faux art gallery. As the last exhibit in my defense, I wanted to bring up some solo work from a few years ago that might surprise you if you keep an open mind. Angels... And when I'm jugglers 
sword swallowers and smugglers Good old Adelaide She must be long gone She once was a looker And a hell of a hoofer And we never stay thirsty So that's the title track off of Angels and One-Armed Jugglers from 2017. And I think this is just a gorgeous song. It's really, really beautifully produced. And Chris's voice is rich and evocative, much more so than it was with the Spin Doctors, in my opinion. Uh, it reminds me of a song by the band. Um, you know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful little little pop roots song. Um, it's not going to make much of a mark in today's music world. But to me, it shows, in some senses, why the Spin Doctors made it big. I think it shows that ultimately Chris knows how to pen a great song, knew how to pen a great song, and he has a deeper gear that he can hit uh, when he wants to. And he also surrounds himself you know, consistently with really great musicians. And uh, his voice surprised me here. I thought it was really, really beautiful. And he proved that he can sing. So uh, that, I think, is... An important part of the defense is just what he did later. This is actually a um, an album that he funded himself through Kickstarter, which is another interesting point. Um, and there's actually one more. This is a song off that same album called Gonna Need Someone. you that's a you know derivative song kind of sounds like a um tom petty and the heartbreakers song but it's also a really beautiful song the lyrics are mournful and pleading and i think you just have to give chris credit here for evolving you know well beyond his spin doctor days and uh you know not really coasting on his past so with that i'll conclude my defense i think the world especially right now could use a little bit more of the musical happiness, message-free jamming, and hopeful innocence of a band like the Spin Doctors. What do you guys think? The jam band label, I don't, I just don't understand because they, and I guess maybe I had to have seen them live, but like the one jam song on the on Pocket Full of Kryptonite is that like 12 and a half minute uh, Shinbone Alley, right? And it's just terrible. I mean, it's not a jam at all. It's just a really long, it's just like nine minutes too long that song it's not like they like each solo and you know what i mean it's just like this really stretched out song 
Yeah, I don't like Jimbo and Alley. It's not a good song. I've never understood the whole. I don't know why they got that label. I mean, to me, they're like just a, a pop. Like they wrote pop songs, you know, and they were pretty good writers. I mean, I don't like the band, but the one thing about them, you can't. So I don't know. The one thing I think about is I'm like, well, how did like why does everybody hate them now, right? Because they're one of those bands that were so huge, and then everyone just turned on them. And I don't know why the rest of the world did, but for me, I think it was because I used to like these guys. Like in high school, when this album came out, it was like a, the album, you know, for like six months. Everyone played it. Everyone loved it. We played my band I was in, played Two Princes, you know, I mean, it was like the album. And then, and then, you know, a year or two later, I quickly kind of like was like, I don't really like these guys anymore, which I guess everybody else did too. But the question is why? And the only thing I can think is like, it, they listening to the album a few more times recently this is like what i call it like happy music right um it's like almost like painfully happy you know it's like an insulin injection into your heart i mean it's just like like sugar right the whole album and and i guess for me because the song like some of the, the songs are well written they're well played the rhythm section is fucking rock solid their drummer's awesome man he's a their bass player's awesome yeah, they're super tight yeah, they're like a great band. Like another criteria I have is like, okay, if I saw these guys just in a bar, drunk, would I like them? And I'd be like, yeah, this band's incredible. You know, if you just happen to see them in a bar or something. But I guess for me, like as I got a little older, the whole happy music scene, like now it just makes me want to puke. Like I could just get pissed off. And I don't know if I need like melancholy or some more of an edge, you know, to my music. But like I hear it and I, and I don't mind listening to I shouldn't say like I don't hate them because – the one thing it does is like a lot of nostalgia. Like when I hear this album, cause I, I hear it every once every 10 years maybe, but it instantly transports me back to high school, which is super fun. You know, when everything was great and you love everything and all the music's great. Now maybe I'm just jaded, but I, you know, I listen to it and I'm just like, God, this is just so saccharine. And, um, and I think a big thing, maybe the hate was him, Chris, the lead singer, right? Oh, everybody hated him. They're like, yeah, his bones. So much. His neo. So, what was the deal? I talk about this with my friends sometimes, and I don't know the answer. But like the '90s, I was in college in the early '90s, or, or sorry, mid to late '90s, and there was a at least where I went to school in Ohio, and I've talked to my other friends. I went to school in Illinois and Ohio, Indiana. Um, there was like a movement in the '90s, like a, a, a neo hippie movement, right? It like came back with a vengeance. I mean half the people I went to college with were straight up hippies, like making their own clothes and like patchouli and that whole fucking thing. And, and a lot of the music kind of, I think catered to that a little bit like this and Dave Matthews band and fish who I like cannot stand. And, but I don't understand why, like what happened. I guess maybe it was like just enough time from the original hippie movement had passed to like, it became cool again to just like bring it back. But I think a lot of the music, Blues Traveler too is you know this kind of like real happy danceable even though it's kind of hard to dance this music but you know like sugary sweet kind of I don't know happy music but we should ask Callie and Max I mean is there like that granola hippie thing still going on at college campus or was there because where you went to was it Arizona and yeah I went to Penn uh, I think um, both. Okay. Oh, oh, Penn in Chicago. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Cali. I mean, Arizona certainly. Not. I mean, Tucson. 
Tucson's a little hippie. Um, was there were there people making clothes and? Oh, certainly. Stuff? Yeah, I mean Tucson. I feel like there's a there's a weird culture. The, the University of Arizona, like itself, isn't so much, but definitely Tucson, Arizona, and that's just outside the school. Even it's it's like a weird island of a city, but um, yeah, there was there was certainly like a scene like that. And I, I mean, you know, people were playing fish in the dead, but like. I don't know. I saw um, Blues Traveler in <clears throat> in Tempe, Arizona, which is where ASU is. I saw them when I was in like late high school. They were doing some sort of Tempe like music festival, like in the summer or whatever. Um, and I thought it was fun. I mean, it's exactly like what Blusher was saying. Like we just danced and like you know, I didn't know who they were, but like it was like fun to dance to. And then I've uh, um, you know I've gone to Electric Forest in Michigan a couple times now, and they play uh, String Cheese Incident plays every like every year and they play like every single day. And so there's certainly like that culture of people like the hippie, but it's like, I, I mean, I highly doubt it's like what it was when you were in school, <laughs> you know, it's definitely more of like a evolved, like raver almost hippie. Yeah. I can say going to see you in Boulder. I mean, it was like 50% hippies. So when I was oh, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it still is, but maybe it was even more six. That's the impression I have of Boulder. Same, (laughs) but maybe it's all like tech kids now and ravers yeah i mean i think it is i think it's like a mixture of like the earthy you know i mean i feel like that's a different person someone who's like more like the environmental side of it but then there's like yeah that whole like music culture and like the style certainly there and what about at uh penn no i feel like that that hippie culture i left that behind in in uh, high school I left that behind in high school and uh, didn't re-encounter it ever. (laughs) Um, I think it was, uh, yeah, there were like hacky sack kids and that kind of whole, uh, uh, that whole sort of subculture, but not where I went to college um, and not really anywhere in Philadelphia where I went to college. Uh, It just didn't really, it wasn't really there. Yeah, it yeah. might have peaked in the 90s. I don't yeah. know. Tucson's a special that. place, though, too. Um, yeah. I feel like it came back. Like, mm-hmm. it came, you know, obviously it was late 60s, early 70s. And then and then it kind of, you know, the hippie movement died in whatever, the mid-70s. And then obviously the 80s was like the opposite, right? And then it came back, maybe because of that, maybe because the 80s was the opposite. So that was a way to like... Yeah against and be like oh my mom was a hippie so now i'm gonna be a hippie because it was like mid 90s it was like straight up hippies man everywhere i went it was, was hippies and i think that had something to do with maybe this kind of music obviously his look and you know the way he danced and stuff i think that's one thing that people glommed onto is he's very punchable so i think people he's like way too happy in his outfits and everything I mean, it's borderline like ska as well i feel like it's like jam bandy but also like a little funky sky yeah, there's some funk in there. Yeah, there's definitely funk in there. Mm-hmm. Like that's, white, I mean, that's what I pull from it. I don't know if I get so much, like, hippie as I do, like, poppy. I don't know. I mean, happy music is what you were calling it. I well, feel like that's, that's a I really mean, there's definitely thing. some very small similarities to your band, uh, the Chili Peppers, I think. Like, there's, you know, some and I, thread, yeah. thread of it in there. Yeah, that's probably it's just, you know, of the times. The, yeah. yeah. They're rhythm for Spin Dog. That's one thing I've always liked about them because i you know i play drums so I, their drummer's great and their, their bass players are really really good so i mean they're you know a really talented band and i just 
I don't know. It's hard. To, they're one of those bands where I would never put it on and like actively listen to it. But if it's on, I'll be like, oh, I'll have a moment where I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but if I had never heard this before, I'd probably be like, uh, you know. So for you, it's his punchability and uh, the happiness. Well, that, but the, the songs are, um, so I get a lot of um, fish uh, off of these guys. And this was 93, you said, is when it came out. But they were torn yeah. for a couple years, so what they like early '90s was in there, and I feel like Yunta was the first Fish album came out. I think like maybe '89 or something. So I, I bet they were influenced by Fish, especially the guitar. I get a lot of Trey Anastasio from the guitar. Um, they just remind me of a uh, Fish that can like write, you know, three minute pop songs. Um, and you know, I don't like Fish, so I mean that's doesn't bode well for them. But yeah, I don't like Fish either. But I feel like their songs are are better pop songs than fish's pop oh for sure yeah i mean if you i'd rather put on spin doctors than fish for sure because it's like that's one thing about fish that bugs me and the dead i hate the dead and it's like write a fucking song you know what i mean if you don't <laughs> i don't want to listen to 20 minutes of bullshit like right it's hard to write a three minute pop song and there's a few really good ones on this album you know it's just i don't know if it's like i'm in a place in my life where and have been for a while where i don't want to really hear it because it's too happy but what's interesting is just like everybody turned on these guys like everybody almost like at the exact it's like one day everyone woke up and was like you know what fuck these guys they're terrible and i don't know i don't know what happened man i don't know why exactly like i get you know for me or it's a few other certain people are like oh you know i just it's too happy for me now or i'm out of college or high school and it's not like i don't want to just listen to fun music anymore or whatever but it's like everybody just turned on them. yeah it might have been that that grunge really hit its stride like the next couple of years yeah and then also all the rap sort of you know rap was peaking and you know there was a lot of the rap rivalries and i think they just got like blown out you know plus they had a plus they had a horrible second album which didn't help i can't believe that uh this album jockeyed with the chronic for number i mean because that's a crazy statistic, man. It's it's crazy. Yeah, they were moving <laughs> up and down. I, I don't know if it ever got higher than it, but they were definitely like, you know, neck and neck. For That's me. totally crazy. Yeah. It, it is nuts. And I feel like one is definitely aged better than the other. You know? and that's the other thing is I guess this album probably, has, even though they're like well-crafted pop songs and they're talented musicians and everything, it, I just feel like it, has, it hasn't aged well, you know? Like it's it's a very of the moment it's like Blues Traveler, you know, Dave Matthews, any of that shit. It's like, it just does not sound good now. And some of the grunge stuff too. I mean, maybe most music is like that. And there's only like a handful of, you know, Stones and Kinks and Beatles and stuff that really like stand the test of time. I don't know. That's probably true. I was, uh, 10 years ago or so, I feel like among my age group, there was a 90s revival moment. There's a lot of interest Right when I got out of college, a lot of interest in 90s culture, especially 90s music. So everybody was going back and listening to the things that we would have listened to when we were little kids or heard, you know, heard in the on the radio or seen on MTV when we were little kids. Um, and so this came up and I was the, the Spin Doctors Two Princes came up. Uh, I was shocked at just how bad it sounded and not just as a not just as a in terms of songwriting, but just in terms of production, the recording, the performance, I was struck at just how surprisingly bad it was. And to hear it again as an adult, it's um, Chris Barron's voice is he's a really bad singer on those on that rap album. He's like absolutely awful. 
he's very flat uh, on that song. The guitar tone was just really shitty. I agree that the rhythm section is pretty badass and they are really good throughout the whole record, but I was just, I, I went back and heard so many like random 90s songs and all of them had, all of them had their own little bit of ear candy to them. But that one was just really letting me down aside from the, uh, aside from the guitar riff, which is undeniably catchy. And just that general, that, that hook that they're smart enough to, to lean into throughout the entire song. Um, but just the production value and the performance just really, I, I couldn't believe that that was the hit, that it wasn't just, it didn't, it wasn't notched up just a little bit. <laughs> it was really underwhelming. Yeah. I, the production is not great on, on that record. I mean, it's, it's really not. It's, it's pretty poor. And, and it's surprising. Uh, although, although based on what you said, uh, how it came out in 91, um, when they were still smaller and they had to tour a little bit to, to, to until it started to gain a following, it kind of makes sense. I guess they, you know, they didn't have the, there wasn't the the money or the the muscle or anything behind it when they were recording it. So maybe it was just lazier, cheaper production, something like that. Yeah, but kind of amazing that it actually transcended all that. And yeah, no, to, for sure, kind of amazing that it wound up becoming a hit despite those those flaws that are really easy to hear now. It's funny when you see Chris Barron, like, and then you think of a Cobain, you know, being very contemporary in, in time and uh, just like how different they are as figures, you know, to be very dominant on the scene. I mean, obviously Cobain's a completely different level, but they're both selling millions and inspiring people and topping the charts. And they could not be more different. Very oh, not at all kind of interesting yeah the production well, probably i think is a big thing that dates it i think that's a good point i mean i totally was production wise and i guess equipment wise that that still bugs me is there was a, a kind of a movement in the mid 90s um of a bunch of bands that you, their drummer was would use piccolo snares you know yeah uh, the piccolo snare <laughs> eat piccolo snares and they're like a lot of bands were doing it for some reason and yeah. he's a great drummer but it's just like it's so it's like just overtuned it's so tight and it, pop, pop, you know it, it just yeah that clack, clack, clack. yeah so yeah that really doesn't help that kind of real like tinny production you know there's like no um i don't know like there's no meat on these songs they're like chris Marin himself man they're, they're boneless you know it's, it's just like they're like put away you know it's nothing weight weighing them down to earth, you know. <laughs> Just I a saw, I read sweater. There was a I don't know if it was on their Wikipedia page. I think it was that somebody there's a quote on there from some journalist talking about this album. Uh, you know, they liked it, and they're like, you know, they have their own sound, but their main influences are apparent: uh, Curtis Mayfield and the Rolling Stones. I saw that. Yeah. I'm like what? Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. That's a generous assessment. <laughs> like I don't hear any, anything from either one of those. I mean, it's the opposite of that. I, I don't know where you guys get this information from. Had you ever heard this before? Had I? Yeah. Um, well, that song, the Two Princes, for sure. I mean, I feel like that's been in so many movies, and like it just. I mean, as soon as I okay, so I started the album, and then. I was thinking like, what does this sound like? Like this sounds just like some other song that I know, like that's the tip of my song. And then, and then that song came on and I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly who I thought it was. <laughs> I guess every song sounds the same to me. Like, I feel like they, I don't know, 
it's catchy. Like I, you know, I would dance to it. I, I mean, like you said, you know, if you see them at a bar, like I feel like I would enjoy seeing them live just because I don't feel like they're horrible. Like I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't have as much of a musical ear, but I'm just like, I don't feel like it's, it's awful. I just don't enjoy it <laughs> like as much as, I don't know. Yeah. I, I am not, I did not enjoy it, but I did enjoy two princes as more of just like a weird kind of nostalgic, not sure where it came from back in my head song that I knew by heart for some reason, or like knew the, knew the chorus. And like, I got it stuck in my head because it was like an earworm, even if it's not, what'd you say? Ear candy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it certainly has merit for that song. And the Sesame street thing was really adorable, <laughs> but yeah, me. I'm going to have to agree. Um, not, not falling for it. <laughs> no, I had never heard the other, you know, the rest of it. Just, just that it all sounds the same. Like that song. <laughs> I guess that's a lot of it does sound. It's like a whole album of, um, songs like in a romantic comedy you know yeah. and the yeah. actress is like starting to get a groove you know in the second mm-hmm. act and like you know they'll kick on one of these songs yep which uh, you know someone's like running upstairs and it's like you know starting yeah it's right. very bizarre yeah I don't know, but it, it didn't make me I mean normally you know when you guys when we we meet and someone you know, there's an album and there's an artist that I'm not that familiar with. I just know the hits or whatever. Um, I, every other time I've, I've taken the time to like listen to their other albums. <laughs> um, cause I was like genuinely interested and I wanted to, you know, compare to their other work, but I just, I, I listened to the album in I think twice and I was just like, not impressed, moved on. <laughs> but I do think that you, you put it in a, in a very interesting light. And I think for, you know, for, talking about like the time and like just you know what what else was going on at the time and other sorts of jam bands and things and their clear fish and jam bandy um influence like that's that's interesting to me like that they fit they fit into that history but that's where that's where you lose me (laughs) is listening to the actual that's that's why they're a good topic for yeah yeah i I I mean i see why you defend them but i there's definitely a healthy dose healthy dose of nostalgia in there but i do think that there's there's hooks and some decent songwriting and you know i think the levity of it is is notable and and noteworthy like it's kind of nice to hear something that's just not not weighed down by too much meaning in the sense it's kind of good to hear that so it's a feel-good song but or that song but i don't know about the rest of them <laughs> you know yeah, what do you think of uh of his solo stuff I like the second song a lot more than the first. I think his, I agree his vocals were not, not very good (laughs) in the first one at least, but I thought that the second one was a little, um, I don't know what it reminded me of, but it's just a little softer and it was nice. It was like easy listening. But again, I don't, I don't know if I would seek him out or want to listen to more, but it was certainly, I didn't have anything against the second song. It's a little depressing that he had to resort to Kickstarter. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. I don't know what happened to all his... He sold, like, sold a lot of records, right? Pocketful of Kryptonite sold a lot of records. Yeah. He's got He's, to have- oh, I'm sure. And I think it's that song. <laughs> like, I'm sure they've sold out. And they were like, for all these movies and royalties and things, they're totally sold out for that. Yeah, and they were pre-internet, so they should have made money good now. royalties. That's sad. 
Kristen's budget for his retirement. I didn't see anything on his financial situation online, but but yeah, he was using Kickstarter. Maybe he just doesn't want to, you know, he wants to use other people's money for his music. That's true, which is, that's a ding on Chris and the spin doctor. See, I knew he was punchable. Well, but cool. what I kept thinking is if he, I would not, I would not probably go see spin doctors live, but if there was like a night with Chris Barron and like space, I would definitely go. Would you? Yeah. Just to hear him like tell some tales and play some of those tunes. I mean, it definitely would have fit. And he would like pass his Sherpa hat around in the audience to, for money. But it's the nostalgia factor, right? Not because you're like genuinely interested in it, right? I mean, it'd be, enjoy- it'd be enjoyable. Like I would, I would feel like I would leave happy and uh, entertained. That's so, probably the market he's going for now. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. People who would be willing maybe to see him at space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he did and better than most. Right? After the set, you know? It's not bad. <laughs> Yeah, right, well, so, the thing is, I feel like a lot of times with these bands like this, there's a lot of them are like, you know, hair metal bands from the 80s, stuff like that. They're all like entire tours now they'll put together, like these nostalgia reunion tours, you know, like Foreigner, you know, where it's like two people that were in Foreigner in it, but tons of people go and see the show, you know, and, and love it and they do it every year. And, but like these guys, uh, they're not, they haven't reached that level of like, you know, like hair bands or, you know, went out of style, went out of fashion, but they're kind of like back now, like the nostalgia thing is back, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like you give it 20 years and anything comes back, no matter how much it was, people turned on it and kind of, you know, did, disliked it or whatever, but are the spin doctors ever going to get, because it's been a, it's been a while, right? It's been, like almost 30 years right yeah that should have happened a couple of years ago if that was <laughs> yeah they're they're past due they never got their like reunion so evidently no one is clamoring for a spin doctors but i think after this show they might be they might just be like holy shit i forgot about this guy well he'll probably chris will probably hit us up for some yeah. money he's got another he'll probably retweet it <laughs> <laughs> to his 17 followers yeah no i mean i'm surprised i mean i'm not surprised there hasn't been because i don't like him but i i'm surprised that there, I mean, there were just uh, how many million copies of this album sell? Like five or something? I mean, yeah, I don't know how many is. It sold a couple, lot. Couple to a few. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. There were a ton of people that loved this album at one time. I think it won a Grammy and it, uh, yeah, they were Rolling Stone magazine and they were huge. Just for that Sorry, one period of time. What's up? For that one period of time. It was long though. I mean, it was a year. It was top 10 album for a year or more. Well, and then after the crowds went away, then they started playing for Muppets. I think you should He looked good with the uh, kind of the royal jacket and the no beard. I thought that was a good look for him. Yeah, it's better than the like fucking unwashed hippie that I'm trying to avoid. I like Paul Revere's Raiders or whatever <laughs> look. Right. You're yeah. gone with that. They're definitely not among my favorite bands, but I think that they are defensible, which is why I wanted to bring them in. So it sounds like the verdict is one to three. You know what, Joe, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a yes. Yes. I'm going to go. Yes. Because I, again, don't like the album and never listened to it, but there was something there at some point when I was in high school 
that I loved and all my friends loved and my band played Two Princes. And so there's something to be said for that. At one point in my life, I love this album. So, and and I listened to it and I didn't, again, I don't hate it. I don't hate them like I hate Fish or The Dead. I just don't like it, but all the, it's hard to hate them. They're good musicians and, you know, although Chris is, I don't like him, but, but I'll give you a, I'll give you a defended. Awesome. Awesome. I got one. That's a a win. I I didn't think I'd get even one. I'm very very neutral. I feel like I don't hate them. I don't like them, but I feel like you gave a good defense. I can see why. Okay. If you hate them, but I don't personally like it. So I, I don't want to give you, can I get like another category of like, it's defended by you, but I am not on board. Is that a? That's uh, yeah, sure, that's acceptable. Because <laughs> then it's like if you don't like the band and you think that they're just a bad band, that's fine. If you're if they're not uh, redeemable, I like that song. Like nice. if that song, the Two Princes, if that comes on the radio and it's like a good vibe for like three to five minutes, I'll you know that's great. But then I'm 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 good. So <laughs> we just want to move the needle from like like where max is saying the worst thing he's ever heard in his whole life to like <laughs> you know what there that's all right there's some there's something going on there it, yeah i, I was to- i was moved by your by your defense and your appeal to to their good characters they seem to be good people but there are a lot of good people in bands and so i remain <laughs> unconvinced does it make it good um, music it doesn't make it good music, no, especially given everything that was going on uh, in music back then, as you noted. Uh, the milieu that they emerged in, they they feel like they st- they st- they're kind of an accident to me. And a, I am listening to the album, I, I've, I'm, you know, closely, really for the first time, I feel pretty validated in that, in that take and that I really just, it just, it, there wasn't much to really hang on to for me, but I do appreciate uh, your take on their, their goodness as people and also their, their levity, which I think is, is definitely an important quality. Uh, I think there are lighter, better bands. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I wonder if you were in college when they came out, if you'd have a slightly different perspective or, still you know feel like they were horrible probably uh i would grant that i think that i came at this much later i don't think i actually ever seriously listened to two princes until 20 years after it came out i had heard it but i had never really listened to it and by then so much had happened in music in my life and in the world that i could that two princes didn't feel relevant anymore it's not a two princes. It's not a spin doctor's world anymore, Joe. It's not a spin doctor's world, no. <laughs> I think the spin doctor's world was falling apart at the precise moment that they were becoming <laughs> the huge. Like, eight month period <laughs> in 1993 when everything was incredible and the spin doctors flourished. <laughs> and, then, and then shit went downhill very bad. Yeah. I mean, was, that I was, was the moment. And there was like a split in the universe that happened at that point. And it was, it is, yeah. Everybody just got real realistic and sad and sullen. Yeah, well, but you know, it's interesting to talk about that. Grunge was 
right on the heels of this album and then it just kind of obliterated everything right yeah which i mean i feel like that's another show <laughs> just for me i mean i hate grunge music i don't like any of it really so i never really understood the appeal of that either um but i mean i'm sure that had something to do with the turn uh, against the spin doctors for sure is nirvana it's almost like punk how punk annihilated disco it's almost like grunge annihilated like really almost like pop rock everything except for rap for a while yeah. you know all right well, cool. you got two that's man you got two out of four and honestly for the spin doctors that's pretty good that is good i'm <laughs> yes. happy i'm happy, I'm happy. I'd be happy. I feel like I was, don't I'm look a gift towards in the mouth <laughs> wait for max to like wake up in the morning and be like oh my god hear that hook and just Thanks for listening to Music Defender, produced by Unlock Productions, all rights reserved. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and subscribe or follow on all your favorite podcast channels.